your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line, like the guy just said. UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski in here as he is most Friday. Side Happy Anthony. Friday, Rick. All right, so you said right before the show, we were just kind of like, you know, t- talk a little bit. Maps, 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 maps. We and then you. We've been talking about that for years. And then you said a thing that is not true. You said this might we might not have to talk about maps anymore, <laughs> but we have to talk about maps still a little bit, right? We. We do because the candidates and the parties are going to be adjusting to the new district maps as we head towards the 2024 election. Yeah, so we have new voting maps, or we this is done, right? This is a done deal. We now we can analyze the maps. Basically, probably, almost certainly a done deal. The U.S. Supreme Court doesn't thunder in here. You know, there is a chance of some federal court action, but. I think that's a long shot. I think these are basically almost certainly going to be the maps heading into November 2024. And I'll just say this. On this show, the map discussion isn't going to end because Brad Paff is coming on Monday. Okay. Steve Doyle is coming on Tuesday. Ooh. And John Johnson from Marquette, who studies maps, is coming on Wednesday. Nice. <laughs> so, in fact, we are ramping up the maps coverage. Be a lot of maps. On Lacrosse Talk. Not that me and not that Doyle and, and Paff are only going to talk about maps. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a little mean to them. I, the, Brad Paff voted against the legislative calendar. Correct. I believe Steve Doyle voted for it. And I believe Joe oh. Billings voted for it. The assembly is all done for the year. Yep. It's February 20. And t- technically they were done yesterday, February 22nd, all done for the year. The Senate is the Wisconsin state Senate's going to meet for one day next month. Just mm-hmm. one day. I don't know if they'll make it a Monday or a, a Friday. It will probably be a Friday, so it's a news dump Friday. But then they're done for the year. And I guess they can use the excuse that we have new maps, so we really got to go home and tell everybody that we're your new legislature. We're, we're your p- potentially new legislator. And then all the stuff that doesn't get passed, because Evers is going to veto this PFAS thing, mm-hmm. this uh, this uh, forever chemicals in the groundwater thing that the town of Campbell, I guess, has been on bottled water for four years. I thought it was three, but, uh, you know, I guess maybe I, I missed a year. Man, did the COVID year take one out? Um, but, you know, uh, Lee Donahue, supervisor for, for the uh, town of Campbell County Board or town supervisor, whatever, She's uh, quoted in an AP story talking about the uh, the plan that the Republicans have on the PFAS isn't one that Evers or she agrees with. And the assembly passes it and then they're done for the year and the Senate already passed it. So Evers get a veto it, and then they're not going. What are they? They're going to campaign on. Hey, we'll do something for you on PFAS. Oh, oh, thank you for four years. You've been. You know, pretending to do say you're going to do something. You else. know, last week we were talking about me- medical marijuana in a similar way. Oh, yeah. How medical marijuana is not going to pass the legalization of medical marijuana. That is dead. And so they're leaving for the rest of the year, the state legislature. So on the campaign trail, candidates could say, I'm for medical marijuana. I want to see medical marijuana legalized. But they actually did not and will not take a vote on medical marijuana in the legislative session, that is 
to be determined if that'll come up in a future legislative session. Yeah, they, the, they say they're going to have a committee meeting on mar- medical yeah. marijuana. The only problem with that is you don't have you're not in session. So the committee meeting is just we're talking. <laughs> we're just chatting about it. And then maybe if we get the, the whole point is they're going to go home and campaign on the things that they didn't do now that they'll they're going to do next session or next after the election. And there's a 10 month hole here. <laughs> oh, you're, so you're not going to do anything now that you only have 10 months. How many doors can you knock in 10 months? I feel like maybe if you pass legislation, that would open more eyes to who your legislator is than the, you know, knocking on doors. In a funny way, even having a committee meeting on medical marijuana is almost newsworthy in Wisconsin because there's been so little action on marijuana in Wisconsin state government. But you're right. People can knock on doors and say, I am for medical marijuana. I am for broader legalization. But when given the opportunity, they did not take action or the party leaders in the legislature did not take action. There was this difference between the state assembly and the state Senate over if the government should run dispensaries or if private business should run dispensaries. They got really hung up on that issue, weren't really that motivated, it seemed, to resolve that issue. So now they head out to the campaign trail and we wait to another year to see if medical marijuana or any type of medical marijuana, any type of marijuana legalization take place. Do Republicans have a double whammy here where they they're going to go knock on doors and tell them, hey, we could pass medical marijuana. And everyone's going to be like, why? Like, really? That's (laughs) that's where we're at. And then because of the Marquette poll we talked about two weeks ago and and that like 80 percent of people just want medical or 80, what is it, 80% medical? Yeah, over, it's funny because Dr. Charles Franklin, who runs the Marquette poll, a few years ago, he asked about medical marijuana legalization, and the results were so overwhelmingly in favor of medical marijuana that he just stopped asking the question. He felt that it would be a waste of time and resources to even bother asking people, do you support medical marijuana legalization because the support was so overwhelming. And that included over 70% of Republicans who favored legalizing medical marijuana. Yet the Republicans in the state assembly and in the state Senate could not come to an agreement. And now we are left waiting to see what might happen in 2025. But just recreational marijuana is pretty overwhelming that the state just wants it. So I feel like if I'm trying to get into a new district and I'm trying to get people to vote for me, and all I can come up with is I'm for medical marijuana. Okay, well, you're, you know, really? Okay, who's running against you? Because I feel like we're going to have more contested races because the Democrats can go to those doors and go, yeah, we just want you to do whatever you want to do with marijuana. Yeah, we've seen Democrats shift their position strongly in favor of not just medical marijuana legalization, but any type of marijuana legalization. I think the politics of the issue are pretty interesting, especially for those of us who are by Minnesota by Illinois, next door to Michigan, because those states have legal marijuana for recreational consumption. I've seen some newspaper ads and I've gotten some letters in the mail from businesses in Winona, for example, saying, hey, come over here. You can buy marijuana. You can buy products that you're not able to buy in Wisconsin. So it's an interesting situation for those of us nearby Minnesota. We've got these Minnesota businesses advertising to those of us in the Cooley region. Hey, you can't buy what you might want in your state. Come over to our state. Come over to Winona and you can buy what you're looking for here. 608-785-7914. We're going to continue this conversation with uh, UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Um, I kind of want to make this not marijuana now, PFAS. Like, how does mm-hmm. 
how does that go with the the door knocking? Because Governor Ebers sounds like he's going to veto this bill, uh, and therefore nothing gets done on PFOs again. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. I'm Rick Solom, 608-785-7914 is the talk of text line. UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski, in studio with us here as he is most Fridays. We deep dove right off the bat, or deep dived, I think that's how yeah. you say it, even though dove sounds more appropriate. We deep dived right, right off the bat with politics, but I'm so mad that every, and I do this, what, every two years, the assembly is done for the year and it's 10 months and they, 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 uh, Adjourned early for their yeah. for their work, their full time state legislature. Minnesota's just ramping up. Like they're just getting going and they're a part time state legislature and they have new district lines too. And Wisconsin is all done for the next ten months. And then they can go and, and say, Hey, the things that we didn't accomplish while we have ten months to accomplish them, we'll try to do next year. It's it doesn't <laughs> like shouldn't we pitchforks and tiki torches to the Capitol, like get to work. Like you have 10 months to do crap. Stop campaigning on the crap that you want to get reelected for and just do the crap. In many ways, it raises the stakes even more for the November 2024 elections, because if there's a lot of unfinished business for the state legislature right now, then the elections of 2024 have even higher stakes. The people who get elected to 2020 in 2024 could have a lot on their plate in 2025. You mentioned PFAS. We talked earlier about marijuana. There's discussions going around the Capitol about Medicaid, other issues that are, you know, there's these lingering questions about these issues. And it seems like those questions will remain through the next campaign, through November 2024 and going into 2025. Yeah, there, there's a whole list on, on Wisdom News. You have to look for the Robin Voss, Devin Lemihu, uh picture with their arms folded. That That's from their Facebook pages, by the way. Uh, medical marijuana, tax cuts. We're going to, will veto, will Evers veto tax cuts? He's going to veto at least one or more of the four tax bills that the legislature sent him. I thought he might Friday news dump us with a veto. Of, Still could. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, Rick, but that income tax cut, I'm pretty darn sure he's going to veto that one. The child care tax credit, pretty sure he's going to sign that one. Then there are some unanswered questions about the uh, the retiree tax cut yeah. that might be you know, that he was he was sent, and that's been a big priority of Speaker Voss to try to retain retirees in Wisconsin to give them a tax break, not have them move to Texas or Florida. We'll see what the governor does there. He said that he would not sign all four of the tax cuts that the legislature sent him, but I'm assuming he will sign at least you've, one of them. You've had to hear the conspiracy theory on the retiree, right? Like we're trying to keep retirees to stay in Wisconsin by giving them a tax break. But it's a Republican plan because retirees are older and usually lean Republican. And therefore, it's just we try Republicans are trying to keep retirees in the state. Is this ludicrous or is that kind of I don't think it's a crazy idea at all. Older people do tend to lean in the Republican direction. But I think big picture, older people vote. So it is in the interest of public officials to advance the interests of retirees. Yeah. I mean, giving older people tax benefits, giving older people a break on their taxes seems to be a very obvious thing for public officials to do if they want to get reelected, given that 
the older someone is, the more likely they are to vote. And the voting turnout rates for seniors are substantially higher than the voter turnout rates for younger groups. It's a great one to pit against younger groups, too, because, hey, we're going to give a tax break to old retirees. And then uh, student loan debt, you guys want debt uh, relief on your student loans? Bleep that. We're not going to do that. Although the, I believe the Biden administration um, cut like $1.2 billion from certain low like working class or lower class uh low income people for student loan really. it's interesting the approach that the biden administration has taken to student loan forgiveness because they had that defeat in the u.s supreme court they tried to do this mass cancellation of student loan debt the u.s supreme court turned that down and yeah, so- i love how i love how biden gets blamed for that biden tried to do a thing in the u.s supreme court which is a bunch of trump appointees turned it down and then it's biden's fault And so they've (laughs) responded. The White House has responded by doing it piece by piece by piece, basically not trying to get the attention of the courts, perhaps, but doing it in more of this incremental or piecemeal approach, as opposed to the massive student loan forgiveness approach that ended up getting turned down, that ended up getting nullified by the U.S. Supreme Court. So back to the state legislature, they're going to hit the campaign trail. We mentioned tax cuts, kind of, I'm going to come back to that. PFAs, absentee voting, we got to get to that one. I think you you want to rant about that. Childcare, school safety, power lines, and wolves. This is all part of the AP story. These are all parts of legislation that the our, our state didn't do a full-time state legislature. They're done for the year. One day in March, the Senate's going to meet, but they're not going to do much of anything. And and that's it. And then they're going to hit the campaign trail. And I just feel like anyone that comes to your door and says, I'm running for state legislature, and it's got to be as a Republican, I think, because they set the calendar, but Democrats too, like, go get to work, man. Like, you, oh, these are all the, the campaign issues you you see you, you could accomplish it's do the state, the, the people running for office next, you know, for in the fall election, do they not campaign until way later in the year? Because they don't they don't want to do it too early because they'd be like, aren't you supposed to be doing that right now? <laughs> like, I just don't get it. Like, why do we put up with this crap? You know, I wonder if there is widespread awareness that we have a full time legislature or if voters in Wisconsin have gotten used to the idea that the legislature will not be in session for we're, very long. We're or political vote- junkies. We're political junkies. Right. We know how this works. I don't know. Does this make you mad? Just as somebody who lives in Wisconsin? Well, I are you used to it? To, have you put up with it? To me, I just wonder if the public knows about how little time the legislature is in session. And if the public did know, would they be angry about it? So those are the two questions I would ask. Like, is the public aware of how much time on the job legislators spend? And would the public care if they found out the lack of time in Madison? Okay, so this is the thing I've been learning about in however long I've been doing the show, like a little over four years, I think. So I kind of like I have developed an opinion of this. You're a political science professor, so you know about this. But as a voter, and I don't, can I just get you as a Wisconsin voter, does this as you personally make you mad or are you this is no, this is how it should be. So I it bothers me when they spend so much time on the campaign trail, because I think that when our campaigns go on and on and on and on. I think that that can have some negative consequences for the political system. I want politicians to be thinking more about governing 
and less about campaigning. I understand that they need to campaign. I understand that they want to get reelected. They they, they can use the excuse. They have, we have new maps. I have to get to know (laughs) new voters, right? And I have to get to know my new district. So I think that was a big motivating factor in Republicans passing the Evers maps and then hoping that Evers would sign them into law so they could have clarity, so they could have some certainty. And so they could get going on the campaign trail to try to get ready to win as many elections as they can in November 2024. If there's one thing politicians don't like, it's uncertainty. They want clarity about what the maps will be. So now they have that clarity and now they're hitting the campaign trail for eight plus months. In my head, this is the thing that happens now. Like, well, we have Jill Billings, Steve Doyle and and there. Do we I don't even I haven't looked. Do we have opponents for all these people yet? Like, I'm not aware of any. Why don't we have opponents? Yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) we're going to have some interesting elections in the Cooley region because Brad Path is up for reelection. He said he's running for reelection. We don't know who's necessarily going to be running against him. Should we know that by now? Now is the too late? You know, I, I imagine that potential competitors were waiting to see what the maps yeah, would look yeah. like. Okay. And so, I, like I said, Rick, I think that probably was a motivating factor for the legislature to get these maps resolved and to not have to wait for the Wisconsin State Supreme Court to figure the maps out because the legislature just wants to know what the maps are going to look like so they can start recruiting candidates, so they can start figuring out who's going to run where. So now I think things will probably come into focus a bit. Who might be running against Brad Paff? what the Steve Doyle election might look like, who might run against Jill Billings. And then to the South, Lauren Oldenburg, the Republican member of the assembly for kind of the South part of the area here, he's in a very Democratic district now based on how the maps were redrawn. So we have some very interesting elections here in the Cooley region. There are interesting elections all over the state because members of the legislature are in unfamiliar territory. Some of them are going to have to run in the most competitive elections of their lives, and they might not be used to doing that. They might be used to being in very lopsided districts where they don't have to work that hard. Some of them have been redrawn out of their district. So now they have to figure out if they're going to move so that they can live in the district where they are running. So there's a lot to be determined as we go forward, but they just wanted that clarity so they could start making plans for the election. I understand incumbents have an advantage to winning these races because they're known commodities and maybe they don't in new districts. Districts change a little bit. But as a non-incumbent, as somebody running against these people, I'm just going to go door to door right now and go, hey, by the way, our state legislature is the next (laughs) 10 months off. These are the issues that they are not working on in the legislature right now that the governor could sign and pass. Meanwhile, over the last four years, we've seen special sessions because when they're out of session, they ignore these issues. But and the governor calls a special session and they just gavel in and out. They've done that, what, 13 or 14 times? A lot. And uh, if I'm your legislator, I'm going to propose that we work through the year and pass legislation that needs to get done instead of taking this list and saying, hey, if you elect me, because uh, like the the incumbents really have no excuse. I feel like and it's just it's just going to bother me for the next 10 months, I guess. Well, that's a common theme of campaigns, people campaigning against the do nothing Congress or the do nothing legislature. I'm going to watch that as the campaign unfolds. You know, we got these challengers who might emerge to take on these incumbents in these newly competitive yeah. districts. I wonder if they're going to go to door to door and say, look, this legislator has taken eight months off to campaign. I want to get to work. That could be a pretty effective campaign tactic. You just I think. roll out the scroll like it's a list of things. Here's all the things that need to get done. You say eight, isn't it? Ten. Am I off? It's February. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. One day. The, the, the Senate works one day in March. Does that mean that the whole 
whole month of March is do off they get the table? Credit, or do they get credit for March because yeah, they showed up for one day yeah, in that's March? Yes, it's it's February 23rd, and they said we're going to work one day in March, which means they've taken the rest of February off. They've got a ton of fundraising to do because you've got to introduce yourself to new voters. You've got to get ready for a more competitive election. You've got to adapt to the changes in maps. Like I said, Rick, I understand why they wanted the clarity. I understand why Republicans were willing to pass the Evers maps, even though they didn't like them a lot. They want that clarity. And now they've got to not just knock those doors, but they've got to get those donors to open their wallets because this is going to be an expensive election cycle. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. We're going to continue this conversation after the news. This song's overrated. I don't know. Is this like her best song ever? It's one of my favorites. Terrible song. Welcome to welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. You'd be lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski in here. Um before we get to so we want to talk about the most popular person ever in Wisconsin. No, in Lacrosse County. Yes. Before we get to that, Joe Biden's dog, Commander, has apparently bitten twenty-four Secret Service agents. Yikes. What? Okay, first of all, I th- I'm pretty sure, and I don't want to even like think about this, but if your dog bites multiple people, they, they put the dog down. I think that's what yeah, happens. pretty you, much. I, I don't know if it's two or three. I could I could text my vet friend and ask. Um, but what if we bit a Secret Service person <laughs> or punched them or like... It's not even just like the dog bit somebody. The dog bit a Secret Service person and then times 24. Like, A, the dog probably shouldn't be around anymore. B, like, what are you doing? Like, put the, like, send the dog to the farm, man. I just, it's such a funny story. It's a CNN uh, put it out there and apparently, like, they've been a little uh, coy with how many times uh, Commander has, has bitten. Um, Secret Service people. But if we mess with Secret Service people, we would be in the Hooskow, as my dad would say. Fair to say. <laughs> right. It just doesn't make sense. All right. Now, Rick, I got to ask real quick. You interviewed the candidates for Lacrosse County Judge. Mm-hmm. And last week I was wondering, is this actually a nonpartisan election or is this a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, nonpartisan election? I don't know. What do you think about that? Because I was listening to your interviews and they seem pretty nonpartisan. The there, so after I interviewed Candace Tullestash yesterday, and I'm going to post that uh, over the weekend. So what I came what I came to a conclusion is there can be a nonpartisan election, and you can also attack your opponent. And we didn't do that, but we could have, and I could have like skated down that. And I, I I might have them on again. I might have them on together. I don't know. It was something we floated. I don't want. I don't know if I want to be a moderator to a debate and. <laughs> And something with that has to do with being a judge because I just don't have like a great knowledge of the whole court system to be able to be like, you know, no, that's, you know, like you're, I don't know. I don't know if I want to moderate that, but you can have a nonpartisan race and the two candidates could t- tell each other how terrible they would be as judges. And we don't really have that, but. Yeah, um, I, I think that's a misconception about nonpartisan races, or it's just something that I need to remind myself. Well, local races, right? Yeah. We think about local races as like, and the Democratic U.S. Senate race, for some reason, they didn't attack each other till the very end. Mm-hmm. As local races, they don't go, hey, my opponent wants to blah, 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 and I want to, and that's wrong, and I'm right. I don't know. Yeah, there can be a nonpartisan election 
where the voters still understand the differences between the candidates. Yeah. Now, oftentimes in partisan elections, the difference is obvious. One candidate is a Democrat, the other is a Republican. But it's completely fair for the candidates to clarify their differences yeah. with their opponent, even in a nonpartisan election. And I say attack. I guess maybe attack is a little bit too vulgar like of a distinguish word. Distinguish yourself. Distinguish right. yourself. Yeah, because I, I think Candace wanted to talk about her record versus uh, uh, Houston's record and, and just experiences. And, and, you know, we started to get down that path. But then, you know, like I, I think maybe – Maybe they're trying to – I feel like they work together. So we talked about this off the air but not on the air. Like she's a lawyer and he's the judge right now and they're in the same courtroom. And I was like – before the show, I was like, well, do you – does he recuse himself or like, hey, go to a different branch because you're the lawyer in the – and she's like, no, these aren't – like we're professionals so we don't get into the – he's not going to make a ruling – based on my client because I'm running against him for judge. Like, and I was like, okay, I guess you could be above that. But also like, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd want to be in the court with uh, someone I'm running against. I understand. But if they actually stick to what they're saying happens, then that would be like my dream scenario for government where you have a bright line between here is my role in government and here is my role on the campaign trail. And I'm going to view them distinctly. Yeah. And I love that idea. Yeah. Government or the courts, right? Yeah. Like, um, the other thing too is the governors appointed both of them, right? And neither of them have won an election. And the go- the way we do this, and that's I asked both of them this: Can we do this better? Do this, can we not have the governor appoint judges? Can we have some nonpartisan? Just like can we have some nonpartisan? Is it right? Is it nonpartisan? How do you want to say it? when we want somebody to draw new maps? We want a yeah, an independent commission. Independent commission. Can we have those same people? Appoint our judges when somebody steps down, retires early before their term is up? There are systems to take partisanship or politics out of the process. One idea is to have an independent commission give the governor five names and say, hey, pick one of these. So there are ideas to reform the system if we're not happy with the current system of the governor appointing a new judge. But then the governor's still doing it. That's yeah, what I'm trying yep. to get the governor out of this because Governor Scott Walker appointed Candace in 2015, and Governor Tony Evers appointed Huseman back in July. So if you you're thinking, oh, it's a nonpartisan race, but if you're trying to look into the candidates, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's the Republican and that's the Democrat, and right there, that then you're you're next. You're you're already you're already tagged. Well, I mean, a- and especially ironic because. Scott Walker and Tony Evers ran against one another in 2018. Yeah, even so more so. Even you think more about the political divide when Evers and Walker were competitors one time. Yeah, and also I think that either I'm I'm not as knowledgeable about the courts, but I think a lot of us aren't. So yeah, uh, it's hard to like talk about the those issues. Like, what is the judge's job? And then you know, okay, like you want to solve homelessness, or you? I understand that you make rulings on homelessness. A lot, but like, okay, so vote for me because I'm going to what on homeless people? I don't know. How that to, is a super. Gr- that is a super great political sciencey nerd question. Like, do voters learn what they need to learn from the campaign? Because we want voters to be able to make good choices when they're voting for judge. Do voters acquire the information that they need during the campaign to make that? Good decision. Should voters be voting for judges? No, a related question. Should we be electing judges? I don't. I don't think so. I. I like. We don't. Like. We don't know. Right. I can understand what the state legislature does because they're passing things that literally affect me. And I guess like a judge would 
I guess there's a world here where the judge would do that, but there's also like they should judge by the rule of law or something. Sure. Um, we also had that crazy judge in my in my terms in Kenosha ruling on. Remember that guy who was he, he made everyone you know, anyone who's an armed service member stand up. Oh, was it the Kyle Rittenhouse? The Rittenhouse trial. Like that judge yeah. seemed ludicrous to me, and like he shouldn't be a judge based on how that whole trial went. But like we elected him, so to speak, <laughs> not we, but Kenosha County. Apparently, had been around for a while, and you know. Maybe I'd just gotten a reputation as being kind of a character. Yeah, and then and then something big enough happens where you start to see his yeah. camp, you know, not his campaign, but what he's doing. So, um, all right, back to, uh, you, you know, you derailed your own. You wanted to talk about the most popular person ever in the cross county. <laughs> we, we do need to talk about this. Okay, so Milwaukee Journal Sentinel put out a story. Every county? Every County in Wisconsin. Okay, every Wisconsin county has the most popular person. Do, now, do you do you have like a like when you looked at the list, you went, "Oh, this is the most popular person on the list of most popular <laughs> well, people." See, Rick, I'm not sure "popular" is quite the right word because how they did famous. it. Oh, famous, famous. So they looked at everyone from Wisconsin and then looked at how many page views each person got on Wikipedia. So pick your person. How many views did their article, did their biography get on Wikipedia? And what you do is you say, okay, who's the person from each county who had the highest number of page views? So that was their methodology. So they have a number one, right? They do. Uh, the, their main picture is Chris Farley, which is great for, for people that grew up in the Saturday yeah, Night Live they generation. Can, they considered him the most famous person from Dane County, Chris Farley. Yeah, but – not Wisconsin. The the one the most famous person from Wisconsin is yeah. kind of awful, right? Yeah, like it the, is the awful. top couple are kind of awful. Yeah. Uh Jeffrey Dahmer is number one. Milwaukee. Um, I don't know who number two and three are. Maybe you do. I know Ed Gein is number four, which is a Jeffrey Dahmer-ish person because he he was a, a killer, right? Like uh all I know about Ed Gein though is that my ex's grandma babysat him when he was a kid. Okay. <laughs> so like so. Well well one and two are Conve- are horrible criminals. Oh, okay. Yeah. So who's William? Oh, William Defoe. Actor. Um, and then five is Colin Kaepernick. Okay. And, and how far? We got to go. Like uh, the Lacrosse County person, did she even make the list? There's not seventy. We got to go pretty far down the list. But the most famous person from Lacrosse County, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, is Sandra Lee. Sandra. Sandra Lee. Sorry. Sandra Lee. Cooley Region Cooks? No, Sandra Lee. <laughs> Can we get her on Cooley Region you, Cooks? Shows you how much I know about her. But yeah, she should be on Cooley Region Cooks, right? So this is from the Milwaukee is Journal. Is she too big for Cooley Region Cooks? Uh, you know, but she's she's from La Crosse. She went to Onalaska High School and went to UW-La Crosse. She should be a guest on Cooley Region Cooks. Yeah, she she has the show called Semi-Homemade Cooking. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Sandra Lee. She has a show called Semi Homemade Cooking so on we're the cooking Food Network. Semi trucks? Is that what? <laughs> or cooking out of. Is this like a exhibit and Pimp My Ride? She pimps out <laughs> semi trucks with uh, grills and everything? No. So she's a she's a, a chef on the Food Network. Well, this is the this is the description of the show. Sandra Lee brings easy and affordable to the table with fresh ingredients and store-bought items. So I guess the concept is that you can make the same recipes she's making because you just buy a few things from the store, you pick up a couple ingredients, and you learn about easy recipes from her show. It says the show won an Emmy, a daytime Emmy in 2012, but it doesn't actually say if the show is 
still on, but it does have a link to it. <laughs> right. So is the show still on? I'm not I'm not watching. I don't food. know. I'm not watching the Food Network. I'm sorry. As much as we talk about food, <laughs> you and I, about this, we are not. Are you a Food Network watcher? Do oh, you watch? not at all. No. 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 Now, she was once married to Andrew Cuomo, who became governor of New York in 2011. So not only does she have a reputation as a host on the Food Network, but she has that political connection as well. It would be great, though. Can we deep dive into this? Like, who's number two and three in La Crosse County on this no, list? They that would be say. great, right? They only said the number one person. Do we just got to call the, the author of the story and be like, <laughs> hey, who's two and three on this list? Also, when and how far has Joe Gao moved up the rankings in the last six months? I just want to know another another chef, right? Chef Joe Gao. <laughs> that's that's uh, if anyone didn't get that joke, just look up Joe Gao's so, uh, Twitter account. Sandra Lee. I, I now I just want to know the kinds of recipes she has, though. Like maybe maybe we, so she said I, I'm looking at her website right now. And looks like she has some delicious desserts that you can check out. This is disappointing, though, right? Sandra Lee is the most popular person from La Crosse County in, in terms of, like, Wikipedia hits. Like, this is a little disappointing. I'm sorry, Sandra. Well, I mean, Food Network, though, that's big time. And also, being the first lady of New York State, that's big time, too. Okay, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong there. We're going to go to break <laughs> before I get myself into more hot water. She'll never come on Cooley Region Cooks if I keep talking <laughs> like this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Tragoski, I gotta I gotta refresh the uh the AP wire just in case. News dumps because we're, we're expecting Governor Evers to maybe pass or veto some tax bills I or something else. I was wondering if he would veto the income tax cut and dump that on a Friday afternoon, but apparently not. The income tax cut. Oh, I, I did say I wanted to come back to that a mm-hmm. little bit. The income tax cut, like I think the Democratic Party and Tony Evers are doing a terrible job of conveying what actually an income tax cut that the Republicans are proposing would do for people because Republicans just call it an income tax cut. And what what they're doing is taking the second bracket and raising it to $150,000 earners. And so but I what I, what somebody should do and maybe somebody did it and I just didn't see it but like they should be pushing this everywhere. Governor Tony Evers posts on his social media all the time, right? Like he has a whole team it's just due. Like for people making twenty grand, the income tax cut is this: thirty grand, forty grand, fifty grand, and the difference. Here's what you were getting back, and here's what you would be getting back. Because I think it's going to be like four dollars. And you can compare that to your own plan. We see that all the time in politics. Yeah. Like my tax plan oh, saves sure. you this much. The other team's tax plan saves you much less. Yeah. So the people making one hundred fifty thousand dollars might be paying more in taxes with the Evers plan or something like that. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that's what the plan is, but I'm saying like, it'd be nice to see like a breakdown of that. I, you know, Wisconsin policy forum or somebody like that probably would do a breakdown like that. And I just haven't seen it. Rick, I I know you had Mike Ford from UW Oshkosh, who's a wonderful, wonderful professor there who teaches budgeting and other things. You were talking about the budget surplus, how there's like a 3.2 ish billion dollar budget surplus remaining. And if Evers vetoes a bunch of these tax bills that are on his desk, that budget surplus is going to continue sitting there through the rest of the year going into 2025. Yeah, I think the conclusion I came from that is that Evers should veto the budget surplus because the tax vetoes eat up the rest of the surplus. And also, these are not one-time things. They're permanent tax vetoes. So like 10... Did you hear my scheme? 
<laughs> Did you hear my scheme with this? Is <laughs> if, your scheme? So if Evers approves these and then come the next budget, the next projection, it's like now it's a budget deficit. And now what do we have to do? We have a budget deficit because we gave all these tax breaks away. And then the Republicans will say, well, government's spending too much. We have too much government spending. And the Democrats will say, well, we have to raise taxes on the rich. And Republicans will never do that because they won't call it raise taxes on the rich. They'll just call it, well, the Democrats want to raise taxes. And Republicans will say the government spends too much. So it's a perfect scheme for Republicans to try to cut taxes for kind of rich people. And then if it backfires... The budget surplus turns into a budget deficit, and then they have both sides. That this is a perfect thing for them. It's a scheme. Absolutely. And Rick, let's think of the context. This could be the final Evers budget when we look ahead to 2025. Let's assume that Evers is not going to run for a third term. Now he hasn't said I'm not going to run for a third term, but you know, it, it, he may not run for a third term. That would mean that this next budget will be his last. Also. If the Democrats win majority control, Evers of, is seventy-two. So what he'd be seventy-four or five. Now, I mean, that's that's young by the standards of Congress and by the standards of Washington D.C. Evers has more of a demeanor of Joe Biden though he than does. he does a demeanor of Donald Trump. I'm oh, not saying by that far. it's not like all that comparable, but, but Evers has like a toned down, chill demeanor. He's obviously no, not a lot of people have Donald Trump's demeanor though. It might be his last budget if he doesn't run for re-election, and also he may have. A lot more Democrats in the state legislature. In fact, the Democrats may even have a majority in the state assembly. And that completely changes the game for the budget process. Probably makes sense, just politically speaking, Wait for Evers to preserve this budget surplus to head into the next budget cycle starting in early 2025. Can Democrats go to this 10 months of campaigning and say, hey, we can get some of this stuff accomplished if you vote for me because – you better believe that's exactly what they're going to say. Because Republicans will just say Evers is going to veto this, but they don't really have a like governor. I don't know. It's just these. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Because Republicans are going to have to campaign knowing that Evers is going to be around for a couple more years. But these these people have to, all of them have to campaign a little bit more down the middle with new maps, right? Because Absolutely. their constituents is more 50-50, right? They're, 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 yeah, their base, right? Absolutely. There's a significant increase in competitive districts and in districts where you have to reach out to the other side or you have to reach out to those persuadable voters. There aren't as many overwhelmingly one side or another districts. It's kind of perfect that they don't pass any legislation in, in the next 10 months, too, because what I, what I saw from the last couple of weeks when we're passing, uh, we're going to get rid of regulations for 14 and 15 year olds to get work permits like we don't need that 14 and 15 year olds can just go to work and then a week later uh a, another company is busted having children in meat packing plants and one child getting hurt and it's like okay well that's your priorities i feel like i didn't see the priorities change over the last couple of weeks with new maps on the horizon from republicans they still pass the like, you know, very Republican-y bills. I'd been wondering if they would set up votes on some issues that might help portray their members as being more moderate. The one that I was really looking forward to, the one that I was really looking forward to was the one that we talked about earlier, medical marijuana. Yeah. I thought, look, Republicans can set up a vote on medical marijuana. It is something that they can talk about when they're knocking doors. It's something they can talk about in their campaign brochures. But that didn't end up happening. So I, now you wonder, how are these different candidates going to try to portray themselves as moderate? Because that's what a lot of them are going to have to do. 
I'm, I need to be on the Evers like team. Here's what <laughs> Evers does over the next 10 months. One special session a month on everything that the legislature isn't doing. So next month, PIFAs. I got to have a special session on there and stop protecting companies that are polluting our water because that's the issue. We could pass PIFAs like uh, legislation right now. Evers could still sign it, but Evers said we got to stop protecting the people that are polluting our water, these large corporations. We've got to hold them accountable, and part of the bill that Republicans passed doesn't hold them accountable or allow the DNR to hold them accountable. Um, And then you could just go down the list. So next month, recreational marijuana, special session, because Republicans have gaveled in and out of, if, if they gavel in and out of all these special sessions now, they have to go to the campaign trail and say, yeah, we gaveled in and out of 20 special sessions over the last however many years. They also have to, uh, it also brings up a point that they're not legislating on giant issues that could be passed in the legislature right now. There's a heck of a lot of politics that goes into these votes that get set up and these special sessions that get called. So uh, it's kind of brilliant. Yeah, I, I say pitch that to the Evers team. All right, Evers, if you're listening, I'm going to have to bring him on and pitch that to him. All right. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Have a good weekend, everybody.